Good morning to you uh, and welcome, whether you're joining us from Crew, uh, from Matthew Henry, uh, from Freedom Church or anywhere else. It's really good to have you with us this morning. Uh, blessings to you. Um, before we start, as always, it's important that we just spend some time in prayer before we come to the Word of God. Just we can just dedicate this time to God uh, and just prepare our hearts. So if you would just like to bow your heads with me for a moment uh, and we will just pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that you are good. We thank you for your father heart for us. Jesus, we just pray now as we come to your word, prepare our hearts, Lord God. Lord, make us teachable, humble us where we need to be. Shine your holy light upon us. And we pray, Lord God, that in all that we do, we would glorify you first and foremost. It's all for you. It's all about you, Jesus. And we just say, as your body gathered today, we love you. Come amongst us, Father. Thank you for all that you have done for us and all you are going to do. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. So as a church, we have been over the last few uh, years, sorry, exploring different books in the Bible, particularly uh, within the New Testament, working through Timothy uh, and Acts. And we spent some time grappling with the emergence of the church, the spread of the gospel and the challenges that this faced for the early church and its leaders. And so today, I'm excited, we're going to be kickstarting uh, our new series, exploring a, a new book, which is found in the Old Testament, which is the first section of the Bible. Uh, and the book that we're going to be exploring is the book of Ezra. Now, some of you may or may not have heard of this book. It's a, it's a relatively small book compared to others, consisting of just 10 chapters. Uh, and I've been to many, many services over the years uh, and not heard many people preach, to be honest, from this book. So when we decided that we would preach from it, I was excited that we'd be exploring this book over the next few weeks. Now, before we come into the book of Ezra, I just want to give you a, a little bit of background. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah were traditionally written as two books on one scroll. They were a single literary work. It was only in the medieval manuscript versions in the approximately the 1100s that it was divided up into two separate books. And so who was Ezra? Ezra was a leader of the Jews who returned from exile in Babylon. He reformed the Jewish faith and reconstituted the Jewish community on the basis of the Torah, the first five books. He is revered within the Jewish community so much that he is sometimes referred to as the second Moses, which is a phenomenal label to have. Ezra is one of the lesser known prophets if you were asked to think of some of the prophets who come to mind, you may think of Isaiah, Jeremiah, or even Ezekiel. These are often referred to as the major prophets within scripture, whereas Ezra, Jonah, and others would be considered minor prophets. Now, this isn't because they were any less than, say, Isaiah, Ezekiel. No, all would be considered heroes of the faith. The reason why Jonah Ezra and others are considered minor prophets is because their books are relatively shorter than those of others. Ezekiel is 48 chapters, Jeremiah 52, whereas Ezra is just 10. 
Now, it'd be very easy, therefore, for us, and sometimes naive to think that with these less well-known books, that they are perhaps not as important. For example, on first looks, the book of Ezra is not directly mentioned in the teaching of Jesus. He regularly referred to the Psalms, Deuteronomy, Isaiah and others, but not Ezra. The apostles too reference other books. However, we struggle to find Ezra quoted by the apostles apart from a vague link when Matthew references events in Christ's lineage, in his genealogy, linked to what happens in this book. Therefore, it, it would be easy for us to dismiss this book, to brush it under the carpet, maybe even pick one out that's better known. But as we're going to learn through this short series, although it is a short book, it provides us with a, with a fresh insight and understanding into the Old Testament, which makes up nearly three quarters of our Bible. And ultimately, how the events in this point to Christ. Now, within scripture, we see something called a golden thread. This is a thread within scripture right from the beginning that points to the need of Christ to come as the one true Messiah and who would give his life as a ransom so that we could be forgiven and made righteous. Amen. And we see this in the prophetic words of people in the Old Testament, but also in Ezra here as well. If we go back to Jesus's words in Luke 24, 44, we see Jesus talking to his disciples. He appears to them and they think he is a ghost. So he sits down with them and has some broiled fish. Now I was talking to my little boy about broiled fish. If you're not a fisherman and you don't know what broiled fish is, it's grilled fish. It's delicious. Uh, and he says to them, this is what I told you. While I was still with you, Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Now, what's interesting to note here is that Jesus references the Bible in three parts. And there's a specific reason for this. He isn't picking randomly books that he likes or favours the most. He's talking about the whole Bible. It was commonplace to refer to the Hebrew Bible at this time in three parts. We have the Torah of Moses, the first five books, the Nevim, which is the prophets, e.g. Joshua, Isaiah. And finally, the Ketavim, which was the writings, sometimes called the Psalms. Now, this wasn't exclusive to the Psalms. In this section, this third section, we find the Psalms, Job, Ruth, Anya, Ezra and Nehemiah. When Jesus is talking to his disciples in Luke 24, 44, what he is saying here is, look, why are you so surprised? Everything that I've been talking to you about with my life, my death and my resurrection is the fulfillment, the golden thread that points me to their fulfillment. So every book in the Old Testament in some way fits into this thread, this storyline that points people to Jesus. They all do it in a different way. Genesis different to Psalms, Psalms different to Ezra and Nehemiah, but they still overlap and point to Christ. This may not always be obvious, sometimes subtle, 
Paul references this in 2 Timothy 3 verses 14 to 16. He says that all scripture is God breathed. And later on, he says, and it will make you wise for salvation. Just say that again. All scripture is God breathed and will make you wise for salvation. The only way to salvation is through Christ. So as we study Ezra, this too should be the case. As we study this scripture, we should learn more about him. Keep this in mind as we study the book of Ezra. Keep an eye out for these golden threads. So if you've got your Bibles, let's delve in. Turn to Ezra, which is located after two Chronicles. We're just going to read verse one. Ezra chapter one, verse one. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and he also put it into writing. Now, when we read this first verse here, there is this huge assumption that we know who he's talking about. It's almost like a hyperlink. Who is Cyrus? Who is Jeremiah? To pick up this book and start reading it is like picking up the second book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy and trying to work out what's gone on. There is so much background that paints the scene here and that glorifies God. So to have some context here is key to what is going on. And the book that sets the scene here, as Mark pointed out before, which is I love that when God does that, when God just moves through us, is the book of Jeremiah. It sets the scene for Ezra and Nehemiah. So it's important that we go back and just quickly touch and talk about what has happened. Jeremiah was a prophet who lived and worked during the final decades of the kingdom of southern Judah. He was called as a prophet to warn the people of breaking their covenant with God through idolatry and injustice. They had broken the agreement they made with God in the Torah. They worshipped Canaanite gods, which Jeremiah refers to as the idolatry of adultery. Within their land, statues were worshipped and sacrificed too. They prostituted themselves out to other gods. The leaders were ungodly. Priests, kings and prophets had abandoned God's word. And this had led to rampant social injustice. The widows, orphans, immigrants were effectively being abused. The least in society were being taken advantage of. And we see the events here that precede Ezra uh, come to a climax in Jeremiah 7, which is commonly referred to as Jeremiah's temple sermon, where the Israelites had come to worship. They'd come to worship God in the temple, but outside they were worshipping other gods, with even some rumoured to be practising the horrific act of child sacrificing. As a result of this, Jeremiah makes a, a very unpopular announcement that the God of Israel was coming in judgment, that God would destroy his own temple by sending an army from the north as punishment for their wickedness, an army that God would allow to conquer Jerusalem 
which was Babylon, and that they would be exiled from the land for 70 years. And we see after this warning that they still didn't repent. Still after this word, they chose not to repent. So in chapter 25 of Jeremiah, he warned that the Babylonians would be coming to attack. And unfortunately, we see this prophecy come true. The empire of Babylon, led by King Nebuchadnezzar in 2 Kings 24 and 25, attacks, plunders the land, the temple, the country's riches, leaving behind the poor and the destitute. The Israelites were sent into Babylon, hauled away to work. They were treated poorly, looked down upon throughout their duration of the 70 years. Once Nebuchadnezzar had died, interesting how the Bible calls him this, evil Merodach ruled for over 23 years, which was his son, before finally being ruled by Belshazzar for the final three years of the 70. And at this point, it, it looks quite bleak for the people. There wasn't much hope. They'd rebelled against God, destined for a life of homelessness and wandering. But despite this tragedy, we see a message of hope from Jeremiah in chapter 30 to 33. He picks on Moses's predictions in Deuteronomy 30 verses 1 to 10. That after the exile, through his prophetic word, God would renew the covenant, gather them from exile, transform Israel's heart by writing the law on their hearts, not on tablets, and bless them. And it's interesting, we see in Jeremiah 50 to 51, that after God had allowed these wicked people, the Babylonians, to exercise his punishment and judgment on the Israelites, he doesn't endorse their violence and idolatry, and they too were to be punished. The Babylonians were a wicked people. Isaiah prophesied this in, in Isaiah 44, 28, stating that, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. So when we come back to Ezra, this is the backdrop of all that's gone on. I've given you a crash course in Jeremiah, <laughs> but this is the backdrop. This is the whole picture and events surrounding what is going on here. What is happening here is the fulfilment of multiple prophetic words. When we come away, it's like looking at a painting on a whole. But when we come into Ezra, we're seeing it in fine detail and it's beautiful. Me and, ha uh, me and my wife joke about uh, how I'm not very cultured. I'm not massively into art or, or anything like that. It's not really my thing, to be honest. Um, and whenever we go on holiday together, we make an agreement that when, when one of us, when we go away, uh, Han will come with me to watch a football game. So we've been to see a few games and stadiums and things. And uh, I'll take one for the team and, and I go with her uh, and go and look at art galleries or other things, whichever. Um, and we went to one art gallery. It must have been oh, a year after we got married and I really didn't want to go, but I put on a brave face and I just kind of plodded through. And there was one picture um, by, uh, I can't remember, I think it was a very well-known artist, Van Gogh, I want to say. Um, and I can remember looking at it and there was loads of people crowding around talking about it. And I was looking at it from a distance thinking, what's the fuss? It's just a bit of painting. But as I went closer, 
and closer to it and the kind of the crowds dispersed and I went closer, I could see just the intricate detail that he put into it. And I was one of those people that was just stood staring. I was, Han, come here, come and have a look, come and have a look. And just the fine detail that he put to this picture and the other pictures that he'd done. I'd only appreciated it when I'd seen it from outside and come closer. And that's what we're doing here. We take the wider picture and we zoom in into the book of Ezra. Now, when we come back, I previously talked about these golden threads within scripture that point to Jesus. And we see one that's sometimes hidden within the exile. That despite their punishment, it is not all doom and gloom. The Jews are captured and sent into exile. But God still works miraculously. I love this. In 2 Kings 25 verse 27, during the exile, Jehoiachin, king of Judah, is one of those taken away and destined for a life of isolation and poor treatment. However, we'll use his name again, Evil Merodach, who was one of Nebuchadnezzar's sons, decided to miraculously and graciously free him, and not only free him, bless him. And this is the very same Jehoiachim who was in Jesus's lineage. When we look in Matthew's genealogy, that despite this tragedy that's unfolded, we see within it this golden thread of hope. That despite the sin, despite their atrocities, despite all that they have done, God still is working and has a plan to redeem them. And how encouraging this is for us, amen? What an encouragement as we read this. So let's draw our focus back on to Ezra. So the Babylonians have been defeated, as has been prophesied. And King Cyrus is now the ruler of the lands. We read that in God's appointed time, Cyrus, king of Persia, who has defeated the Babylons, took, who taken them into captivity, has issued a decree fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. Ezra 2 verses 2 to 3. And the decree says, thus says King of uh, Cyrus, King of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God is, who is in Jerusalem. So Cyrus here is fulfilling the covenant that God had made with his people, that they would be exiled, that they would return and that they would rebuild. What is particularly amazing is the encounter that Cyrus has. Bear in mind that this was a man who had phenomenal power, who held, who held great position, who had slaves and a vast empire, and yet still God was using him. And there's a word in here of the transformation that the Lord stirred up his spirit. The Lord God of heaven stirred up his spirit. He has met the living God. God here has rescued his people as he promised he would in the midst of a great tragedy. They were homeless, looked down upon, isolated and alone. 
And you know, in these times of great uncertainty, in these times of isolation, loneliness, separation, the distance, we can learn two things from events that are happening here. Number one, the seriousness of sin. The Israelites throughout the Old Testament rebelled against God, despite seeing many miraculous wonders. To be honest, if I'd seen a sea part and walked through it and closed again, I don't think I would probably change my mind. However, we see with the Israelites time and time again, despite multiple miraculous events, constantly in this cycle of falling away. They chose to do things their own way time and time again. And it's easy to look and say, wow, this is harsh. God is being harsh with this exile. But actually, Scripture tells us in Hebrews 12, 6 to 11, that he disciplines those that he loves. He gave them multiple chances to repent. Time and time again, they were offered a chance to turn away and they didn't. We see other examples of this in Scripture. Numbers 25, 3. The Israelites disgraced themselves by worshipping Moabite gods. Exodus 32, Moses goes up to a hill, come back and they're worshipping a golden calf. This wasn't a one-time occurrence. This was a constant Achilles heel that they had. And so what this does is, this shows us seriousness of sin in God's eyes. In this time when we're alone, when we're isolated, it's really easy for us to fall into bad habits. Maybe spend more time watching the telly than, than in his word. Becoming frustrated. I know it's difficult when we can't see people and, and starting to gossip about others. Watching things on the internet that we know isn't good for us. The list goes on. But what I want to encourage you this morning is to say that don't let bad habits creep in. There's an old saying that says wisdom learns from other people's folly. And we can do this here from the book of Ezra. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Sin is taken seriously by the Lord and it should be by us. Paul talks about this in Romans 6, 12, where he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He later writes, are we to sin because we are under the law? Uh, not under the law, but by grace? No. The great C.S. Lewis said about sin, man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms, laying down on your arms, surrendering, saying sorry, realising that you are on the wrong track and getting ready to start life over again. From the ground up is the only way out of a hole. So I just encourage you, as we can learn from, from the book of Ezra, if there is a sin that you are wrestling with, if there is something you're struggling with, bring it before God. Surrender it to him. Lay down on your hands. Sin is like an oil. I, I, I said before, I love fishing. And I can remember going to one, uh, one spot and somebody had leaked a can of, I think it was diesel. And when you watch it, it drops on and it spreads and it contaminates the whole water. It pollutes everything if we let sin into our lives if we give it a foothold if we compromise then it slowly impacts other areas of our lives as well be on guard 
And even though we can't meet in person, surround yourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ who you can be accountable to, to encourage you in these times, to rebuke you, to love you where needed, to pray with you earnestly. Surround yourselves with godly people. Pursue holiness, pursue Christ, not earthly desires and passions. As I was preparing this, I felt like God was saying that this period of time feels like an exile. We might feel lost, isolated. We might even feel strangers amongst ourselves. But God would remind us that we are his people and we are in his hands. If our God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Don't grow weary. Don't be anxious. Trust in the Lord, who is our God, who is everything. Amen. And as we come back to the text in Ezra, we see something remarkable happen. Cyrus, who has had a, a revelation from the Lord, issues a decree. And our next part is fascinating in verse four. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns lives, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So after the 70 years have passed in exile, God not only fulfills his word by calling them home, he then leads Cyrus to say that whoever wishes to return, they will be blessed with assistance of gold and silver and animals for their journey. And this is a miraculous provision from the Lord. And again, in our times, it is encouraging to read this. Jehovah Jireh, our provider, will provide for us. I don't say might, he will provide for us. If we feel alone, he is with us. If we are lost, he is the shepherd. If we are feeling anxious, he is the prince of peace. If we are depressed, he is our joy. If we are sick, he is the great physician. If you are struggling at this time, call out to him. Call out to him and he will respond. I've been amazed at the stories of God's miraculous work during these times of isolation. Stories of miraculous provision of breakthroughs into seemingly impossible situations. Stories of God meeting people in their need, in their homes on their own. And why does he do this? Why did he bless his people after the exile? Because even though we sin, even though we fail, even though we mess up, he is still faithful. He is still faithful, and that just glorifies God. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. Isaiah 41, 10 tells us, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Psalm 103, 13, the Lord is like a father to his children. I love that great encouragement, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. 
reach out, call to him. If you've never done this before, he will answer you. He is a loving father. He provides everything we need to sustain us. Just as he equipped the Israelites to return home, he too will equip us to cope in these difficult times. He will equip us to persevere. From a personal point of view, we've been blessed many, many times, both uh, in our in our marriage, um, materially um, and in spiritually as well. And we don't profess a God who is a um, a God who's going to bless us with health, wealth, and prosperity at all. Um, but God still works in those ways, and we bless Him in those times when He does. And we've had multiple times, particularly when we first got married, when only one of us was working, and we were absolutely skint. Uh, and we would pray, and, and money appeared in our bank. We've had times in our lives when we felt in the doldrums spiritually, and, and God has provided for us. God provides, He is our sustainer, He is everything, He is our all. He is faithful. Amen. So let's continue reading on in Ezra. Ezra chapter 1 verses 5 to 11. Then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver and gold, with goods, with beasts and with costly words, besides all that was freely offered. Warren Weirbs, the well-known Bible commentator, talks about heroes of the faith in one of his books. And he refers to these people who are going back as men and women of God who were trailblazers, who sacrificially gave up their lives for the sake of Christ. He talks about the, the bravery of Paul, the exploits of Peter, the passion of Joshua. However, in his writing, he specifically mentions those who were called back from exile. Approximately 50,000 people who are unnamed and yet are heroes of the faith. And why are they heroes? Well, they are prepared to leave their familiar setting, no matter how bad the situation, to travel back to a place that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. They would have known the city was in ruins. They would have known the work that was required. This was no easy task. Yet they would have known it was a difficult task and they would still be prepared to be faithful to God's calling. Not all chose to return. Not all probably wanted to. But those who were stirred up were faithful to their calling and so my question then to you is do you know your calling what is your calling what has God stirred in your heart and are you being faithful to what he has stirred you to do called you to do if you are not sure what your calling is maybe you feel like you're just mumbling through life now is the perfect time to seek God while life is quiet while distractions are put to one side and seek him. Husbands, wives, are you encouraging your spouse to seek their calling? Your family's calling. Friends, are you encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ 
to hear their calling. We're called to be a praying people. Are we praying for each other regularly? Are we praying one another to know our calling, that it's clear? And sometimes God might call us to do things that we are resistant to. When we think of some of the uh, minor prophets, Jonah, he was called for God. And he's often portrayed as a bit of a coward. But that's a really simplistic view of what happened to Jonah. Jonah was called to deliver a, a message of hope to the city of Nineveh. And he was reluctant to do this. And on face value, it looks he's just run off. He doesn't want to do it. But I, when we learn about what's gone on there, I don't blame his initial reaction. Nineveh was the, the capital of the Assyrians. They were brutal people. History records them mutilating people. They would cut off arms, legs. It makes the ending of Braveheart look like child's play. They would cut off lips and hang them from the city walls as a deterrent. They were known to impale live people on stakes as warnings. They were brutal. When we see what they were like, we can see why his first reaction was, no, you're right. The great Oswald Chambers uh, famously once said, thank God he gives us difficult things to do sometimes because he is faithful when he calls us to do them. Uh, me, and, me and my wife, Han, we moved to Chester in 2013 to join Freedom Church when it was a tiny church plant. Um, and we felt God's calling. Now, I'd love to say it was, it was easy and seamless, and it wasn't. It was really difficult. We believe in all our friends that we know, our family, who would have been our support crutch. We left jobs that were stable. We didn't know where we were moving to. I'd rarely been to Chester. I think I'd been there twice. I had no idea about it. But we knew God was calling us here. It wasn't a seamless transition. It was difficult. There were many, many times we could have turned away and it would have been easier. I was actually offered a job back where we lived at one point, a really good job, but we remained faithful to God's calling. And from that, although it wasn't easy, we have been blessed in more ways than we've ever realised from the faithfulness of God by being obedient to him. We just simply had to follow our calling. Sometimes we might be in seasons where we don't know what our calling is. And if you're in that position, I would say that what we can do in the meantime is faithfully serve the Lord where we are. We can witness to those around us, care for those in need. We can pray for the church, serve the church and encourage others. Wherever we are, whatever position we are in, we can still serve the Lord. And what a joy and a privilege that is as God's people to do that. Amen. And as we finish uh, looking through the final section of chapter one, we can take great heart from the final verses. Within these final verses, we see God's restoration of that which was taken place. This message of hope a golden thread that we see throughout this book. We read, Cyrus, the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in 
the charge of Meridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them. 30 basins of gold, a thousand bases of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver and 1,000 other vessels. All the vessels of gold and silver were 5,400. Now, you might notice they're accounting uh, and it's believed that uh, they only counted in those, these smaller things. So although those numbers might not add up, um, it's because only certain things were counted. All these did Sheshabar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, when he ransacked the city, destroyed the temple and took all of the items and put them in his own temple of the gods. This was an atrocity, sacrilege. Not only had they been humiliated and defeated, their lands plundered, but they also saw their temple desecrated and items taken into a foreign God's place of worship. And what we're seeing here with the returning of these items is that God's message of hope. After the 70 years, after the prophecy had been fulfilled, God here is restoring his people. He is calling them back to the land. He is returning the items from the house of the Lord back to where they belong. And this last section just summarises the heart of God throughout the Old and the New Testament. The people had turned their back on God, committed atrocities, ignored the multiple warnings from the Lord. And yet we see God here once again, beginning the restoration of his people. And we take great encouragement from this, that when we do make mistakes, when we do turn our backs on him, that is not the end. There is always a chance of forgiveness right up until our final breath, no matter what we have done. The Israelites did some horrific things, and yet still we see here God's ultimate heart is to restore them. And that same hope is still available to us. So to summarise, what we can learn here is, God takes the issue of sin seriously. However, when we sin, if we come to God with a repentant heart, he will forgive us. This is a cycle of events that happens with the Israelites. He will restore us as a loving father does. The book of Ezra points to our need for a saviour who would pay the ultimate sacrifice for our sins once and for all. Jesus Christ. As I was praying about what to share, um, God just gave me a word just to share with you. And I'm just looking at you all now uh, on the screen. And I just want to encourage you um, with something that God had put on my heart. That when we live in these times, it feels difficult. It feels lonely. I'm pretty happy in my own company, to be honest, but I feel it not being able to go out, not to being able to see people. I feel it for my children. I feel it for my family. I feel it for you as well. This is a difficult time. But I just had an encouragement for you that you are here at this time for a particular reason. God called men and women throughout the Bible for particular times, for a particular purpose, 
which is ultimately to glorify God, to share the hope we have in Christ with others. And I just want to encourage you not to be discouraged. Not to be anxious. Not to give up. Within us, we carry the hope of the world. Christ Jesus. We are part of this golden thread that will ultimately glorify Christ when he returns. We are here for a particular time. And let's be quick as people of God to look for opportunities to share the hope of Christ we have with people. You might turn around and say, well, this is difficult at this time. It is. But pray for opportunities. I shared a, a few weeks ago about a, an encounter we had. We've been praying with uh, an old people's uh, community that is down our road for opportunities to meet with people and just get to know them. Now, that is an impossible prayer at this time. And what happened? As we were walking along the shop, we bumped into a lady who lived there and had had the chance to just go and take a shopping back for it and make that contact. We were driving around again and lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, who do we see? The same lady. So we have an opportunity to jump out and just touch base with her. Are we praying for miraculous opportunities still at this time to share the hope of Christ we have with people? Are we praying for our neighbours at this time? Are we praying for one another to not be discouraged? When all of this comes to an end, when it all blows over and settles down, how long that will be, I have no idea. We are going to be part of this big picture of Christ's redemption for the world. And in these dark times, in these bleak times, we have Christ within us. We have the hope of the world that people are looking for. Are we ready? Are we ready to be used by God? Just as I finish there, I'll just take some time to just pray for you all. Um, just as we finish there. Um, Father God, Lord, I thank you for the privilege we have. First of all, I thank you for the privilege we have to learn and see how others have gone before us, the highs and their lows, but ultimately how you restore and redeem throughout their stories. Father God, we pray in this difficult time, this bleak time, Lord God, that we wouldn't grow disheartened, that we would persevere, as Paul talks about in Romans, because it increases our hope in Christ. I pray now for those who are listening. Father God, meet with them now. Where they're feeling lonely, comfort them. Where they're feeling isolated, be with them. Where they're feeling hopeless, be their God of hope. Where they're feeling like they are lost, you are the great shepherd. Where they need in healing, you are the great physician, Father God. And I pray, Father God, at this time we would step up to the plate. At this time we would step up to the mark, Father God, and be your light in these dark times. Let your glory radiate from us. Let your holy light shine upon our neighbours, our friends, our relatives, Father God, that we too would be a small mosaic piece in this beautiful picture that you are painting. And the encouragement, Lord, is that we know how it is going to end. 
We know how it started. We know how it's going to end. And in between might seem a little bit fuzzy at times with pandemics and everything else thrown in the mix. But Lord, we take great hope knowing that one day you will come back. You will reign victorious and every knee will bow before you, Father. Help us to be part of that beautiful picture that you are painting. And we just pray as we prayed in our worship for those who we are thinking about. Give us opportunities, miraculous opportunities to share the hope we have in Christ, Father. That we would love you. Bring glory to your name. It is not about us. It is all for you, for your kingdom to be built and your name to be praised throughout eternity, Father. All glory, honour and praise to you, Father. Amen.